0: that, ladies. Good song. Let's turn in our Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 6. We're starting here on this second message. This is message number two in a series teaching about the ministry of the Baptist deacon. I mentioned to you last week, It's I, I put the Baptist deacon in there uh, simply because that's all I've ever been. Um That's who I am. That's how I was raised. I started attending a Baptist church nine months before I was born, and that's just how it's always been with me. So I think it's important uh, that we look at why we do what we do in the Baptist church. There are different denominations out there, and the deacons uh, and pastors uh, have different roles in various churches. We function as an independent Baptist church, and so we're looking at this Acts chapter 6. We're looking at this ministry of the deacon, in the Baptist Church. Last week we talked about the reason for deacons and how it came up. The explosive growth in the church at Jerusalem. People joining in a day by the thousands, the Bible says. They turned to Christ and were baptized and God added them to the church. First 3,000, then 5,000. Then just the Holy Spirit just said the multitudes were coming. So that the church, early in its infancy... Was running into the tens of thousands. One church. We talk about megachurches today, and we we say if you're a megachurch, you know I think the I think the uh, number is somewhere around eighteen hundred or two thousand. They qualify you as a mega mega church. In one day, the church at Jerusalem became a mega church. Three thousand souls were added in Acts chapter two. And two chapters later, 5,000, or one chapter later, 5,000 added. And a chapter later, multitudes. So that Bible historians believe that that church may have had anywhere from twenty-five to 30,000 members in that church less than six months after the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know about explosive growth in churches. We've heard that before, but nothing like that. But the Bible is careful to say the Lord added to that church. Um, it is not my responsibility nor yours to grow Faith Baptist Church. Our church is our, our responsibility is to be faithful in it. Uh, our responsibility as church members is to live holy lives. God said, "I'll build my church," so we just rely on Him to do that. Last week, the reason, and we noted uh, that deacons um, were called out of the church. We noted that the church called them. Remember that we said that the Paul uh, or the apostles rather told the church search you out among yourselves, seven men of honest report, and they had these qualifications. They were to be full of the Holy Ghost. Uh, We noted that their calling indicates what deacons ought to be. Deacons were never intended to rule. They were intended to serve. That's what created the need for them. So now we're turning the attention from the reasons we have deacons. So what is, to be, what is to be found in that man that would qualify him to be a deacon? So, tonight we're looking at the requirements for a church deacon. We'll spring out of Acts 6, and then we'll head to 1 Timothy chapter 3 for most, uh, for most of this. I want to reiterate something we said last week <clears throat> that not only should Faith Baptist Church have our beliefs. Based on the Word of God. We also ought to have our practice based on the Word of God. Um, And so now there are some things, uh, there are some things that we do in our church. There's no biblical precedent for them. And so there's some liberty in churches to do as they wish. Um, Is Daniel in here? Should have said this earlier. Um, We also need to be praying for Daniel and Hannah this week. Uh, They leave Wednesday morning. They are going to candidate at a church in. Delco, North Carolina, and um, he was telling me about their orders of service, the way they do things on Sunday. How many of you think that the Bible says that you ought to have Sunday morning uh, Sunday school and then church and then Sunday night service? How many How many say that's found in the Bible? You got to do that. Good, because it's not. Daniel's going to a church where they don't have a Sunday night service; they have two church services in Sunday morning, so they have a church service. And then they have Sunday school, and then they have another church service, and then they're done. Um, that's just the way they do it. There are certain things in the scripture that it's not mandated for a church to do that. Um, Paul didn't have a bass guitarist or a flute player or a clarinet in his, in his uh, orchestra at the First Baptist Church there in Antioch. Um, they didn't even have a keyboard or a piano, if you can believe that, and yet we do. There are some things we have liberty to do. But then there are certain things that the scripture is very clear on how to do that. The office and ministry of the deacon is one of those things. God takes a very specific list of qualifications and says, this is the man and this is the man's wife that are qualified to serve as deacon and deacon's wife in a church. And so some of those things we have some liberty in. But we don't get to mess with, we don't get to mess with God's requirements for the deacon. So that's where we're looking at. That's where we're looking at tonight. So let's go back to Acts chapter six, and we'll start there. And and um, I'm going to move as quickly as I can through this tonight because I'm trusting that most of you have read these qualifications, especially those in 1 Timothy chapter number 3. But it's good for us as we're considering two men in a few weeks that we're going to call on to serve as deacon for three years. It's good for us to, uh, to re- be reminded of what the Bible says about that. So let's first talk tonight from Acts chapter 6, talk about the deacon and his faith. The deacon and his faith. A man who serves at, as the deacon in a Baptist church is to be a man of faith. His faith in Christ should be evident not only in his words, but also in his works and in his walk. It, it's it, You just don't get to say, well, I'm a Christian, and then it goes at that. That needs to be evidenced in my life, and that needs to be evidenced in your life. And the Bible specifically speaks to the faith of a deacon. So let's talk about the deacon and the faith. Go to Acts chapter 6 and verse number 3. And here is the instruction the apostles, who were the church leaders at the time, gave to the church body. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. This business, remember, it was the business of serving food to those in the church that needed it. That was the business that they were looking at, the job that the deacon was called to do. So I want to look at what the Bible says about the deacon and his faith. And obviously, the first one is, he must be a saved man. He needs to be saved. The Bible says in in chapter 6, verse 3 here, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you. That's among that church body. What is required to be a member of a, a Baptist church? Born again, believer's baptism. Those two things. So he had to be saved, and he had to be baptized. And the church was told, look out among you. Now, there is, no way, there, is, there is no way to know for sure, absolutely sure, whether a person is saved or not. The best we can do is to look for those things in a person's life that are evident fruit of a conversion that took place. Now, let's be honest. There's some great hypocrites in this world. They look, and they walk, and they talk like a Christian. They do things Christians would do, and they are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day, not at the, at the uh, judgment seat of Christ, but they're going to stand at the great white throne judgment, and they are going to be surprised that they're there. There's no way to know for absolute certain whether or not a person is saved, but we are to exercise some discernment on that fruit. While God alone knows the condition of a heart, there is the evidence that we can see of a changed life. I don't believe a man should be uh, I don't believe a man who is newly converted should be elected as a deacon. There needs to be fruit evidenced in that man. So how do we know that he's saved? Well, we know it by some questions we can ask. Do they have a clear testimony of a life-changing salvation experience? Well, you know, I've always gone to church. Well, that's not going to cut it. That won't even get you into the membership of Faith Baptist Church, let alone uh, being, being elected as a deacon. I, I've always gone to church. That doesn't mean anything when it comes to salvation. Now, it helps. Uh, It helps expose me to the gospel. It helps me to know that there's a Savior who died for my sins. But that's not evidence. Do they have a clear testimony, and can they tell you how they were saved? Paul is a wonderful example of that. You have three times, at least in the book of Acts, where you have Paul's conversion, and then two more times where he tells how he was converted. Someone may not remember the date. Uh, the day or the date that they were saved. But they have to remember the experience of being saved. This thing about, well, you know, I've, I've always been saved. No, you haven't. No, I haven't. So do they have a clear testimony of salvation? You can ask yourself another question. Do they live a pattern of holiness? Is there a pattern of holiness in their lives? Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Old things pass away and all things become new in the one who is truly converted. Is there a is there a holiness to them? Not a perfection. Not a perfection. A holiness. The scripture tells us that when the scripture was when the Bible was given by the Holy Spirit, it says that holy men of God spake as they were moved. Not perfect men of God. It says they were holy. Is there a pattern of holiness to him? Is the Lord and His Word and His church a priority in their life? Do they love Jesus and do they love the things and the people that Jesus loves? Do they walk in love toward other believers? First John chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15 says that's an evidence of salvation. We're trying to figure out if this guy's saved or not. Does he have a clear testimony of how he was saved? Do they live a holy life? Is the Lord, his work, and his church priority in their life? Do they walk in love toward other believers? Those are good questions to ask. Is this man qualified to be a deacon based on his salvation testimony? Jesus said that a person's spiritual root would be evidenced in their spiritual fruit. If you abide in him, you'll show forth the fruit, eventually the fruit of the Spirit. And that's what He works up. The Holy Spirit brings that fruit about us in it. So He must be a saved man. Second thing, He must not only be saved, Acts chapter 6 and verse 3 says He has to be a separated man. It says in verse 3 Look ye out among you seven men of honest, report we talked about that last week so we don't we won't wear this out it's a person who has a good testimony among people and really the scripture talks about us having a good testimony among saved people and lost people lost people they may not agree with everything about you but they ought to, they ought not to be able to say well you know he's really not he's really not that good of a man she's really not that good of a woman if if they're going to cast Stones at you. Let them cast stones at you because of the stand that you take on the Bible and the Word of God and your love for Jesus Christ. Have a good testimony. The reason they wanted this man to have an honest report was that they would do the right thing when they were called upon to do the duty to which they'd been called. So these men were in charge of the food allotment for the believers in the church. What you don't want. Is a deacon being called to serve in a church who's going to skim a little food off of the top of that thing. And you got to watch that deacon over there because we're all half starving to death. He's just getting fatter and fatter. What in the world's going on over there with that guy? You want him to have a good testimony. You want him of honest report. You don't want him taking food from the pantry that was set aside in the first church at Jerusalem for everyone to share. You want him to have an honest report. He's to have a good testimony. Testimony. He lives for Christ. We talked about that last week, so let's go on. He needs to be a saved man. He should be a separated man. He should also be a spiritual man. This man is to be full of the Holy Ghost, led by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit. People don't like that. Well, I don't know about that word controlled. That's because there's something in us that resents that. It's called pride in the Old and the New Testaments. We don't like to submit to the leadership of God. But our most effective Christianity will be demonstrated when we're full of the Holy Ghost. When we are filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Uh, A good example. He's to be a good example of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. You remember all those? There's nine of them. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. He's to be full of the Holy Ghost. a, A truly spiritual man will have no trouble seeking the face of the Lord in decisions he's called on to make. You want a guy who's filled with the Spirit. You want him to be controlled and dependent on the Holy Spirit, not on his own wisdom, but on God's wisdom. He is to be saved. He's to be separated. He's to be spiritual. He's to be sensible. Again, in verse number 3, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Wise. As we talked about this last week, the source of his wisdom has to be the word of God. He's got to use godly wisdom in a spiritual ministry. He can't rely on earthly wisdom. He needs biblical wisdom in order to exercise the gifts that God's given him. Sometimes, and this is true with our deacons, sometimes our deacons deal with sensitive information. They have to have wisdom, discernment, discretion confidentiality, all of those things. So last week we said that in order for them to be men of wisdom then, if they're to be full of this wisdom, they need to be men of the word because this is the source of our wisdom. It's the source of wisdom that's going to matter. So he needs to be sensible when it comes to godly wisdom. A man of wisdom listens for the voice of God, and he does what the Lord leads him to do. He's dependent on God. Not the audible voice of God, but the Holy Spirit, bearing witness with our spirit in the direction we ought to take. This is the deacon and his faith, and that leads me, saying that he ought to be a man of the word, that leads me now to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And this last point says he must be a scriptural man. Would you turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 3 and note verse number 9. Now we are going to, uh, uh, we'll we'll go back and catch verse 8 in a moment. But he is to be a scriptural man. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 9 says that he is to be holding the mystery of the faith In a pure conscience, they should know the doctrines of the word of God. They're to hold this mystery. The mystery of faith is the body of New Testament truth that men who are not saved and not filled with the spirit won't understand. Do you remember when the scripture says that the natural man receiveth not the things of God because these things are spiritually discerned? That's what you want to see in a deacon. You want him to be a scriptural man. He can take the Word of God and explain to people. I, I ought not to be the only person someone comes to and asks doctrinal, deep doctrinal questions to. Our deacons should have a grasp on the Word of God. Well, well, deacon, how, how can you know that, how can you know that once you're saved, you're always saved? A deacon should be able to take up the word of God and explain how we know we have not just life but we have everlasting life we have eternal life they know the truth and they can help stand against error uh, Daniel and I have talked a lot in these last few months about various churches and issues going on in churches and there have been there have been churches that he and Hannah have been exposed to where the pastors out of the picture and so that that body of deacons the leadership of the church during that time has fallen to these men elected as deacons in a church. What, what would happen at Faith Baptist Church if Mark Campbell died tonight in a car wreck on his way home? Do you see why it's important that the deacons be men of faith? Not just saved, but they've moved beyond just salvation. They have a grasp on the word of God to know what Faith Baptist Church ought to do. Remember those men of Issachar? I love that verse back there in the Old Testament. It talks about the men of Issachar. They had an understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The deacons ought to be able to answer those questions when they arise in a church. It's important that we look at the Bible and we say, okay, this is what the Bible says about a deacon. First of all, he's a man of faith. Let's talk about his faith. Is he saved? Is he separated? All of those, All of those things... That's the deacon and his faith. The Bible's clear on it. There's a second thing we need to look at. The deacon, not only the deacon and his faith, but the deacon and his faithfulness. The deacon and his faithfulness. Now we're still in 1 Timothy 3. Not only a man of faith, but a man who is faithful. Faithful in his daily conduct. I said a moment ago, he is to be a man controlled by God's spirit and by God's word, and when that is true, that deacon will demonstrate certain characteristics in his life. He's not trying to do that, by the way. He just does it, because that's what God's spirit is making him into. The fruit of the spirit in every Christian, in you and in me, ought to be evidence, love, joy, peace, goodness. Gentleness, all nine of those characteristics, they ought to be evidenced in every one of us, but not something we work up. That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in us and changing us into the image of Jesus Christ so that we are more forgiving or we are more gentle or we are more loving or whatever that, particular, uh, whatever that particular fruit is, that's done by the Holy Spirit. The deacon's not trying to be those things. The Holy Spirit has made him into those things. And can I just pause and say this? That's good for every one of us. Man, woman, deacon, non-deacon, pastor, whatever your vocation is, every one of us, the Holy Spirit ought to be doing those things in us and changing us. So if you're here tonight and you're not qualified to be a deacon, don't tune this out because this is good stuff for all of us to eat at. All right? So the deacon and his faithfulness. Where does he demonstrate these things? How can he demonstrate faithfulness? First, he demonstrates it in his temperament. Let's start now at verse number 8, because this is where the topic of requirements for deacons is introduced by Paul to young Timothy. Chapter 3 in 1 Timothy, verse 8. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless." Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. There's all of them. Let's start off in verse number 8. He must be faithful in his temperament. That is that word grave. You see that word grave? That's not a prohibition for deacons against smiling. That doesn't mean deacons have to be sour-faced. That's not what that's talking about at all. That would be a poor representative of the Christian life if that deacon just went around looking sour-faced all the time. So what does it mean when he says grave? That means he's not to be flippant, especially about spiritual things. He's not to be silly. About matters of importance. He can be joyous and he can be happy, but he understands there are things about which he is to be serious and sober. So he treats those issues with the respect that it deserves. He's grave-minded, not sour, not, 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 uh, not uh, unhappy or without joy. Grave means honorable and worthy of respect. It points to one who is held in high esteem because of the way he approaches the issues of life. He's serious about them. Not not sour-faced, but he's serious. He must be faithful in his temperament. He must be faithful, in verse 8 again, he must be faithful in his tongue. Not double-tongued. Don't you like the word pictures that the Bible gives us sometimes? He is, he, that, that word means different things to different writers. There's there's so many scriptures that talk about our tongues, and we just, certainly don't have time to talk about them tonight. But can I just remind you of some of them? Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19. Proverbs chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. James chapter 1, 26, and chapter 3 and verse 2. The Bible repeatedly, Old or New Testament, talks to our tongues. We are not to be double-tongued. What does that mean? Double-tongued means I don't say this to this person and that to that person on the same topic. I speak consistently. If I'm talking about a topic over here with you, then when I have that same topical discussion with you... I said the same thing. You can apply any issue there, but they're not to say one thing to one person and another thing to another person. Let's apply that to the area of gossip. I come to Brother Steve McDonald, and I say one thing to him about Brother Al Bettner. But when I come to Al Bettner, all of a sudden, he's my best friend. Now, what I said to Steve, it wasn't all that flattering about Al. But when I talk to Al, it's a totally different conversation. Deacons don't do that; they're not double tongued. What I have to say about about Al Bettner to Steve McDonald, I can say to Al Bettner. That's what a deacon ought to be. Does that make sense? Not double tongued. Don't get caught. Don't get caught do, uh, in this thing about gossip. Deacons are to be men of a dependable word. Not to be careless with the truth. If a deacon tells you something, you ought to be able to bank on that. They ought to be men of their word. So they're faithful in their temperament, faithful in their tongue, faithful in their temperance. Their temperance. Look at verse 8 again. Not double-tongued. They're to be grave, not double tongue. Not given to much wine. Not prone to drunkenness or other forms today, we have to say, or other forms of substance abuse. He's to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. In that day, drinking was drinking wine was a little more acceptable than it is among Christians today. There was also the there was also the uh, The instance where wine was used to purify water. So a little wine would be mixed with water to purify it. So Paul would write to Timothy and said, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. It was a diluted wine there. Uh, Believers ought to be careful to protect their testimony. We've talked about drinking before in our church. Can Can a person drink and be saved and go to heaven? Well, that's a dumb question. Of course they can. Should we drink when it comes to our testimony? That's a different question altogether. Paul said this, all things are lawful to me. Everything's open. I have liberty in Christ. All things are lawful for me. But all things are not expedient. Expedient means beneficial for the deacon wanting to protect his testimony. You ought to be a teetotaler. I appreciate what David Cross, the former pastor here, used to say. Um, he said Jesus said that he was not going to drink wine until the marriage supper of the Lamb. That means that Jesus, until you and I are in His presence and we're feasting at the marriage supper table, Jesus is a teetotaler. Romans eight twenty nine says that God's desire is to conform me to the image of Christ, and if I can do anything that makes me more like Jesus, I should. So I, I loved his train of thought there. So I'm gonna be a teetotaler. And I think that's a, great, that's a great way to live your life. Deacons ought to protect their testimony in this. At our church, the deacons are expected to abstain from alcohol for testimony's sake. I can't tell you the number of preachers who've gotten in trouble even recently because their picture shows up on Facebook sitting around a table at some restaurant and they're drinking wine, they're drinking beer, and they're having a good time. And those pictures get back to their church. Why do you think that preacher got in trouble? It's because Christians have expectations of their pastors. Right. May I say this? Right expectations. That's expected of the deacon. They are to be faithful in their temperance. Why, why do we expect our deacons at Faith Baptist Church to avoid any consumption of alcohol? You want to protect your testimony. A good name, the scripture says, is rather to be chosen. This is a sensitive subject because we do have folks even in our church that participate in drinking alcohol. That's fine. That's between them and the Lord. But there are things that that will limit you in at Faith Baptist Church. Uh, you, You have to protect your testimony. Scripture goes so far as to say this. Avoid the very appearance of evil. I mean, that that takes some things away from me. If I want to avoid the appearance of evil, there's something I can't do. They may not be wrong, but they look wrong. So be careful. Faithful in his temperament, his tongue, his temperance... Faithful in his temptations. It says there at the end of verse 8, not greedy of filthy lucre. We talked about this just a moment ago. Literally, that verse means not out to increase his wealth by stealing. Deacons ought not to be Deacons ought not to have sticky fingers. You know, you know what I'm saying? They ought not to be greedy of filthy lucre. In the Jerusalem church, I mentioned this a moment ago. We don't have to go through that again. But they were entrusted with all of the food that was to be dispersed evenly among the church members there. So they were not to be greedy about what they uh, they had. When money was brought to the church, you remember Barnabas had property, sold the property, brought that to the church, and put that money at the apostles' feet and says, I bought this money to help everybody out here at the church. I, I brought this money for this purpose. That was then turned over to the deacons for the use of the of ministering to the body. If you have a deacon who is greedy, it's going to be a problem. So don't, don't let that guy to be a deacon. When men think they control the church's finances, both he and the church are in trouble. One of the things I emphasize hard to our, and I'm... I'm Very pointed about this because I had a good teacher as far as the priority goes in David Cross. But I emphasize over and over and over to our church officers when they're counting that money back there. Every penny that ends up in the offering at Faith Baptist Church is now holy money that does not belong to anybody except God. So when they're counting the offering, they are to be exact in it. Um, and, and you have some of these guys in here have served as church officers before, and some of them have looked for seven cents for an hour. Where did we make the mistake? Why are they doing that over seven cents? Because somebody gave that seven cents, and it belongs to the Lord. It's God's. So be faithful in it. So he's faithful in his temperance, his tongue, his temperant, uh, his temperament. He's faithful in his temptations. Don't don't elect a guy to be. To be deacon who is consumed with making money, and that's his life goal. Be careful about that. Is it wrong to make money? Absolutely not. Some of the godliest people in the Bible that you can read about were extremely wealthy people, but they didn't love money. Money's not the root of all evil, but the love of it, the Bible says, is. Right? He's also to be faithful in his testing. I said a moment ago that a new convert really ought not to be elected as a deacon. The Bible makes that clear here in uh, in this verse as well. It says, let these, in verse 10, let these also first be proved. They're to be examined. Watch for men. He's to be faithful in his testing. He's to be examined. To be scrutinized. A man shouldn't be uh, serving as a deacon until the church body who you are going to elect. till that church body has had time to watch his life. Is he faithful to the Lord? Is he faithful to the Lord's church? Is he faithful to the to God's word? A new Christian has no he has no platform to stand on. He may be very faithful, but we don't know it. His heart may be perfect toward the Lord, but we don't know it because we're not omniscient. So he is to be faithful in his testing. And and here's something too: the tense of that verb. Let these also first be proven. The tense of that verb indicates it is an ongoing test. So while a man is serving as deacon, he is to be faithful still. You ever known someone who gets in an office and then all of a sudden they got there, they got elected there, and they start abusing it like crazy. The politician who promises all these things and then gets into the office and then goes the other direction with everything he promised, don't let that be found in a deacon. He's to be proven And that's an ongoing testing. Stay faithful. If he he fails to stay faithful, he's to be removed as a deacon. If a pastor fails to stay faithful, he's to be removed as a pastor. This isn't qualified until you get the office. It's qualified to get the office and to keep the office. Let him be found faithful at the beginning and let him be found faithful still. Let every one of us be found faithful still, as a church family. He's to be faithful in his testimony. Faithful in his testimony. It says that in verse number 10, let let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Blameless doesn't mean perfect. It means above reproach. It's one who can't be brought up on charges. One who can't be brought up on charges. It's very consistent. Back there in Acts chapter 6 when it says search out seven men of honest report. That's the idea. They have a good testimony. A deacon is to be one against whom no one can bring charges that stick. Uh, This doesn't mean he's free from sin. It does not mean he's blameless in the sight of God. It means he's blameless in the sight of those who are watching his life. None of us, none of us, are going to be perfect. We're not going to be. I'm gonna, I'm gonna offend you, or I'm gonna hurt you sometime. You're gonna offend me, or you're gonna hurt me sometime. That's just part of being sinful humans. Uh, with a saved, we've got a, a salvation that's great, but we still have that sinful nature in us. So it's not talking about one who's perfect, but one who is. He is not living in any pattern of sin. He's not committed gross sin. He's not stuck in a pattern of sinful living. He's not in violation of the qualifications that we're going to read about here. In his personal life, in his public life, his family life, his church life, he's to be blameless. Deacons and pastors are to be men whose clean, holy, good examples are demonstrated to both the saved and to the lost. That word blameless is found earlier in this chapter for the pastor. Here he's called the bishop. A, a bishop, it says in verse two, then must be blameless. So he's to he's to be faithful in his testimony. And then last, he must be faithful in his tasks. It says let them use the office of the deacon. Doesn't say let him fill it. It's easy to fill an office. You you can elect a chimpanzee to be president if you want to. But he's not going to use that office very well. When you elect a deacon, let him be one who's going to be faithful in that office. Let him use the office well. What does that word use mean? He uses it by actively seeking ways to serve the local church. That's what it means. How can I serve? That's how he faithfully uses the office office there are always visits to be made there we have right now we have two people in our church who are in the hospital we have widows and we have shut-ins we have people who are disabled temporarily and they may have work to be done how can i serve the church a faithful deacon is one who understands his duty to serve for the glory of jesus christ he's to be faithful so the deacon and his faith Start with his salvation, and how does, that, how does that impact him? And then a deacon and his faithfulness. How does he serve? You know what the best thing to do when electing a deacon is? I said this, I think, last week. The best thing to do is find a guy who's already serving the church without the title of deacon. He'll be a good deacon. That's the way to do it. We had a young man here at our church who for years, I mentioned, I, I referred to him last week, who for years was fulfilling the office of deacon, without the title, and everybody knowing he was a deacon. He served as a deacon, finally was elected. Finally was elected, but he was deaconing before he had the title of deacon. That's a a good observation. The deacon in his faith, the deacon in his faithfulness, and then the last thing is the deacon in his family. There are two areas to be considered here, two points of focus um, when it comes to this Uh, or or before we get into his family, let me make two two observations here. The first one is this, that God has certain standards he expects the deacon to maintain in his home. Certain standards are to be maintained in the home. They're not man-made rules. They are God-given requirements, so we don't get to pick and choose. Second, as we get into these things, second, some believe that deacons must be married. I do not believe that's the implication of Scripture. I believe the implication is, and we're going to get into this, the Bible doesn't say he must be married or that he has to have children. The Bible's qualifications that we're going to read about is, if he's married, this is the qualification for married life. If he has children, this is the qualification in his relationship to his kids. I don't believe that a man has to be married To serve as pastor. I don't believe he has to be married to serve as deacon. But if he is, there are qualifications attached to that. Let me say this. I think it's harder to serve as a pastor. And it's harder to serve as a deacon if you're not married. That's just an opinion. But I I think you are stretching scripture if you say he has to be this then I think we're adding things to it. So what is what does God say about the deacon's home life? Verse number 12. First, it, uh, there's a word about his marriage. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife. There are a lot of interpretations on this particular phrase. Some believe that it means one wife at a time. The suggestion is that Paul was forbidding a polygamist to serve as deacon. I don't know that that's... Necessarily true uh, because polygamy was not that big of an issue in the Roman society. I don't think that's what it's talking about. Since polygamy wasn't a major problem then, it doesn't make sense that Paul would make this a standard or that God would. It's almost certain that the New Testament church would not have allowed a polygamist to be a member of the church. Much less a deacon. So when it so when you have that idea of one wife at a time, uh, that that probably is not uh, uh, that's not talking about polygamy. Then there are others who have this. Uh, they have this. They hold to this literal meaning. When it says the husband of one wife, literally that means a one woman man. When it says the husband of one wife, it literally means a one-woman man. In other words, the deacon is to be married only to one woman at a time, and he's not to be engaged in extramarital affairs in any shape or form. That's true. The deacons should not have more than one wife, and they should not be adulterers, but I don't think that particular view goes far enough. As with the office of pastor... I believe that that verse forbids men who have been divorced and remarried from holding the office of deacon. Now, does that mean that that man who's been divorced and remarried is a second-class citizen? Absolutely not. Is he a second-class Christian? Absolutely not. But do you remember earlier in the requirements, there there was that requirement of being blameless. So if a man who is blameless... Is a person against whom he can't have he he charges won't stick. What if that deacon is approached and said, "Look, how, how are you? How are you involved with telling me how to live my life in my home and, and my family when you couldn't keep your marriage together? It's not that it's not that the the deacon is better than another that better than another church member. It's not that a divorced and remarried church member." Is less of a Christian. It's just that God has taken the pastor and God has taken the deacon and he said this is the standard by which we're going to have leaders in a church. We're we're not going to make it easy to attack that pastor. We're not going to make it easy to attack that deacon. One way we're going to protect them is we're going to say he needs to be married to the same wife that he was married to. Divorce and remarriage steps into that. You say, Yeah, but God allows for divorce. Yeah, God allows for divorce, but God never designed it. He allows it, but he didn't design it. So we have to be careful about what we read, what we read into this. God's standard for his leaders is that is that, we're, is that of a good testimony, a blamelessness, and a divorced, remarried deacon opens himself up to some shots. Let me say this while we're on this. We've we've talked about divorce and remarriage, marriage, divorce, remarriage before. And let me be clear on this. Any other limitation on where and how divorced people serve in a church are add-ons to scripture. They're add-ons. I have a brother who's been divorced and remarried. He was looking for a home church, and he went and visited a church, and you could not sing in the choir if you were divorced. Well, that's that's fine for that church, but I, I just don't know what scripture you're going to use. Now, you may have man's opinion on that, but I don't know what scripture you use for that. So, so be careful about adding it to it. Pastors and deacons are to lead by example so they're to be approach, above reproach in this area of marriage. So there's a word about his marriage. He's to be the husband of one wife and not to be divorced. The second thing, verse number 12, a word about his management. is His management. Ruling, his, uh, ruling their children and their own houses well. The ability to control his family and the business of their home. When their children are grown, they have little control over what their children do. My son went to college, graduated, came home, and then forsook his mom and dad moved to Atlanta. Just left us. <laughs> left us high and dry. My influence over my son and my daughters are while they're children and while they're in my home... I am to rule them well. That doesn't mean to be a tyrant. That means to prepare them for when they move to Atlanta or they move to North Carolina or they move to Pensacola, Florida and take all my grandchildren miles and miles away from me. I'm, Terry and I have this responsibility to prepare them to do that. While they're home, rule well. While they're under that deacon's roof, he ought to rule his family well. Their own houses, well, it says. That word house means it refers not only to their family, but to their finances and their possessions. Let them them be wise concerning their homes. Deacons and pastors are to be examples of the church. No marriage is perfect. No parenting plan is absolutely perfect. Their homes are never going to be perfect. My home's not perfect. There's not a deacon serving right now who's had a perfect home. But we are to be blameless and we're to be examples in the way we have our marriages, the way we raise our kids. We're striving to live out the principles and the precepts of Scripture. And so there's a word there about his management. Let let them rule their children and their houses well. There's a word there about his marriage. There's a word there about his management. And then the last thing is this, a word about his mate. This is an interesting passage of Scripture because this is the requirements of a deacon's wife. There are qualifications that she is to meet. The Bible, first of all, addresses her temperament. It says, verse number 11, even so must their wives be grave. Same word as used for the husband. Serious-minded, honorable, holy women, worthy of respect. The deacon's wife is to be held in high esteem in the church. Not silly, not sinful, not slanderous. She's to be grave. She's not to make light of spiritual matters. If she fails in this qualification, she also disqualifies her husband. Her tongue, not just her temperament, but her tongue. It, tell, it says that the deacon's wives are not to be slanderers. Do you know what that word slander, it, it literally means false accuser? Do you know it's the same title given to the devil? Elsewhere in scripture. He's a false accuser. What this is forbidding is. for These wives are not to act like the devil. There are women who can control. These are to be women who control their tongues. Not gossiping. Not tearing others down. Same thing given to the men. They're not to be double tongued. Now the women are told don't be slanderous. If a man is married to a gossip. He's not qualified to be deacon. Her. Her temperament, she's to be grave. Her tongue, she's not to be a slanderer. Her temperance, she again is said to be sober here. Sober, it says. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober. That word sober in this verse means vigilant, on guard on how she lives her life, how she conducts herself. Be vigilant in that. Do you remember back in the... Uh, Book of Proverbs, it says to keep thy heart with all diligence. That's what this verse is talking about. Be vigilant about that. And then finally, it talks about her trustworthiness. She is to be, did you see that? She is to be faithful in all things. Perfect? Nope. Without fault? Nope. Faithful. Moreover, brethren, it is required among stewards that a man be found faithful. Here, a deacon's wife is to be found faithful in all things. She's trustworthy. She's trusted by her husband. She's trusted by her church family. The ladies in that church might gravitate toward her and, and seek her counsel. If you see a woman that, that that's happening, maybe look at her husband and see if God didn't set both that husband and wife aside to serve the deacon. Or the man is a deacon and the woman is a deacon's wife. Does she give good counsel? Is she faithful in the word of God? Is she faithful in the way she lives? Is she faithful as a wife and as a mom? Is she faithful in right kind of living? In serving the Lord alongside her husband? In serving others in her church? Her trustworthiness. The Bible talks about the deacon. Then he talks about the deacon's wife. Now I'll say this. These qualifications are demanding and rightfully so. Do you remember what I said a moment ago that the the church at Jerusalem was numbered in the tens of thousands? And the apostle said out of those tens of thousands find seven. I'm just saying that in a church in a church of normal size, there aren't going to be a lot of men and women that meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 for the deacon and his wife. I, I I want us to be careful when we consider the word of God. Let, let the word of God be that for our faith and practice. Let the deacon and let his wife measure up here. This is a very visible office. The reason that question was asked tonight about our officers, what are church officers? It's because that office is not all that visible. But the office of deacon is. And the place of a deacon's wife is. God knew that. So God said, here's what I want him to look like. Here's what I want her to look like. And church, look them out and put them into this ministry. That's how God's word functioned. This is how the church went. So looking back over those requirements, I just want to say this again because I don't want you to tune out. All of us men women married single sons daughters all of us as christians whether or not we're going to be a deacon or a deacon's wife what if we all took those requirements to heart in 1st Timothy chapter 3 verses 8 down to verse number 13 what if all of us sought to have that kind of attitude and that kind of perspective and that kind of conduct and that kind of submission to the lord how would faith baptist church function then What would the unity of a church look like when the church members are just trying to serve one another, even if it costs them? What is that church going to look like? How is it going to function? What's going to be its impact on the community? What's going to be its impact on the world if a church just tries to look like this? I I told you before... um, There there are churches where there are no qualified men to serve as a deacon in a church. So what is that deacon, what is that church to do? That church is not to have deacons. You don't bend the requirements so that you can have the office. You take the word, look, either, either this is the word of God or it's not. Either I strive to obey all it says or I don't. It's not You've heard that saying before. It's not a buffet. You don't just go down the line and pick out, well, I'm I'm gonna take out Jeremiah chapter 12, but I really like 1 Timothy chapter 1. You know, I'm gonna cut out 1 Timothy chapter 3, but I love 2 Timothy chapter 4 about finishing well and finished my finished my course and fought the fight. I love that chapter, but 1 Timothy 3, we're gonna cut that out about those deacons. No, we don't get to do that. We take the word of God and we say, this is what it says, this is what God expects. This is a church God can bless if that pastor and those deacons and their wives, if they'll look like this. A church that God can greatly bless is a church where everybody's striving to be saved, biblically minded, not flippant about spiritual things, not loving money, being faithful to our family, being faithful to our church. Being vigilant in how we live our lives. Man, that sounds like a recipe for a wonderfully victorious Christian life. At the end of the day, is that what you and I, that's what we want. That's what we want. So let's let's consider those things. Not only for the election of our two deacons coming up on December 17th. But let's consider those things for our own personal lives. Alright? Does that make sense? Do you agree that the word of God ought to be our our... Not just for our faith, but for our practice as well. Let's do what God's word says. It's not a cultural thing. Well, that was back in Paul's day. No, it's a biblical thing. It's for us today. Amen. Let's stand together and be dismissed in prayer. Thank you for being here tonight. Please take these things to heart. Pour over the beginning of Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, as we consider our our election for deacons. All right, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its plainness. And I pray that you would help us not to just give lip service to you. Lord, I'm not perfect in any way. And there's not a person in here who thinks they're perfect. But we want to be blameless. Lord, we want there to be such an an evidence of Christ in us, the hope of glory, that even lost people will say, they're just different. They may not agree with us, God, but help them to see Jesus in us. I pray for the two men that are going to be elected deacons at Faith Baptist Church, and I pray for their wives, and I pray that even now you'd be preparing them for a ministry of serving their families here at Faith Baptist Church. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful for your word and the Holy Spirit that gives us discernment to know how to understand it, how to obey it. Help us to do that in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church. Thanks for being here tonight.